0: Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law.
1: Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our next normal leadership series featuring Elevate's chairman and CEO, Liam Brown, talking with general counsel from leading organizations, law firm managing partners, and law company CEOs about leading during this time of change. Today's guest is Monica Rism, Group General Counsel and Company Secretary of Lombard International, a global leader in wealth structuring solutions. A member of the global executive team, Monica is responsible for the legal, company secretarial, risk and compliance, and regulatory affairs teams. Liam and Monica discuss the power of being a generous leader, getting things done, and that leadership isn't about being fast.
0: Thank you for joining me on this discussion today about leadership in law. I've got a number of questions that I'd like us to talk about. I think the first thing to do is to get to know you a little bit. Could you talk about the arc of your career that led you to the role that you have now, please?
1: Sure. First, Liam, thanks for having me. Delighted to be on this podcast. My career started with a more traditional path. I went to law school in the States and to Georgetown in DC. Then I worked in New York and London for a big Wall Street firm while Gottschall for almost five years. And then I made my first foray in-house and I joined G Capital back when G was uh, one of the biggest companies in the world. And that's probably where I I made that pivot from being a, let's say, a bright and enthusiastic private practice lawyer to actually learning how to be a business lawyer. And G at the time was very focused on developing talent. So I had a great seven years where I started out as an in-house counsel with a business team supporting them. And then had my first promotion to a general counsel role when several businesses were merged and then took on another global GC role. And then I kind of hit a point where things were going on in my personal life. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. And I ended up leaving GE and joining Aviva. And Aviva, the global insurer at the time. So I joined them as general counsel for Europe. And that was a really exciting role for me because it was at a very senior level in the organization working for another woman who was the group general counsel and I was given a bit of a blank slate. I mean, the reason they invited me to do the role was they said, we've never had a GC for Europe. And can you kind of bring that together? So I, I was given sort of three issues to think about. And from that, I evolved a team and traction within the European businesses. And then as these things always happen, the only constant is change. And then, then I became the general counsel at the group center. So we were going through, Aviv at the time, a massive reorganization. So I led on several M&A transactions. And then I did that role for a couple of years, and then I was asked to become the general counsel of the life insurance business when Aviva bought Friends Life. And that, back in 2015, was the biggest merger in the insurance sector in 15 years. So I did that role for a couple of years. I was the general counsel and company secretary of the life business, which at that time was 80% of the group. So it was a very large role. And then they did another reorganization. And I kind of had started to think at this point, six years into my role with Aviva, Where am I going next? Because I really want to be in the group general counsel role. And in terms of succession, that was where I was being placed, but it was not going to be imminent because there was no role to go into. And so I had been approached by Blackstone to consider doing a role with them a few years before. And I hadn't been ready to leave Aviva at that time. But when this reorganization happened and I realized I had nowhere else to go in my career at the time, I started searching for different types of roles. I was interviewing for a number of roles, got very close to Group GC roles for a couple of different organizations. But Blackstone, I kind of kept a little bit in touch with them. And when they found out I was planning to change jobs, they got in touch and said, We really want you to come and do this role. So Lombard International is one of the largest companies within Blackstone's tech ops group, the Tactical Opportunities Group. And it's probably one of the more complex companies because it's financial services, multi jurisdictional. So it was a really interesting challenge. And for me, it was that next step in my career of actually stepping into the C-suite. I'd sort of been on the outskirts flirting with it a little bit, but to actually step into the C-suite and have that opportunity to join a very high quality leadership team for an extraordinarily high quality private equity firm, that was very exciting. So I joined Lombard in January 2018. So it's coming up to two and a half years. In that time, we've had a number of changes. I, I started out as the European GC with always a plan to become the group general counsel that was part of my contract, but it happened quicker than one would have expected. But that was great. I got to build in knowledge of our US and Asia businesses. And now, two and a half years into the role, we had a new CEO, group CEO join April 1st, Stuart Parkinson from HSBC. So that's been very exciting for us. And he brought a completely different global perspective to the organization. And so you know, I have responsibility in my current role for not just legal, I also have responsibility for the regulatory affairs, compliance, and company secretarial. So I am the GC and company secretary. And I'm one of those GCs who actually really enjoys the governance and board stuff. I know sometimes people kind of fall on the other side of that equation, but I really enjoy it. I find it fascinating to be in the boardroom, hearing the kinds of conversations and debates and learning from the executives and non-executives in that context. So that's where I am. And this is where I've
0: been for a little while now. Just hearing your journey, how do you think about the differences in the hats you have to wear or the way you have to develop your relationship or interface with, I'm going to conflate all of your career for a moment here, but the board, Mm -hmm. a boardroom or a board, a C-suite, your team, Mm -hmm. and then perhaps your extended team. How do you think about managing yourself, managing relationships, managing, interfacing with those different levels.
1: The difference between in, in private practice and being in-house is you have to be interested, excited, and focused on the business. And the reason I've had opportunities in my career to return to private practice, and it was very tempting at times, because I always thought I'd want to be a partner in a law firm. That's what I kind of thought I would do in law school. But what keeps me in-house has always been two things. One is wanting to see a business succeed and be part of that. I find that very exciting. I learn a lot. I feel like I have to keep learning every day. I never get bored. And my current job covers 20 geographies. I have a team of almost 50 talented people who work with me, not to mention my extended colleagues, as you mentioned. So I start with the business and then I also continue with the people. I firmly believe you spend 90% of your day at work and you should enjoy it and make it enjoyable for people around you. I can't claim to always get it right, but I I deeply care about nurturing talent. And I think the biggest compliment I have in that regard is the number of relationships I have with people from my prior organizations that I continue to coach and mentor and sponsor. So I think that coming back to your question, Liam, when it comes to how do you navigate, if your true North Star and focus is the business and people, you can't go wrong because that is important at every level of the organization. So I've always really tried to build strong relationships at all of, I consider it a 360 degree level. And I also firmly believe as a matter of personal values that you treat everyone exactly the same, no matter what level of the organization they're at. So I do have to operate with slightly different hats on, as you said. For a very chatty person who likes to challenge at times, the boardroom is not necessarily the place to do that when you're wearing your company secretary hat. You kind of take on a different role in helping support the chairman and help the meetings and the governance run well. With the CEO, I always hope to be the kind of trusted advisor and sounding board. And I think in my career, I've become braver at sometimes saying, maybe we can look at things differently. And you also have to work with people who want to hear that. And that's a matter of kind of relationships built over time, etc. With my own team, I always want them to feel that I'm there cheering for them and helping support them to grow in their career. And I often tell a couple of my direct reports, when one day I leave this organization... If I do, <laughs> I would love for me to be able to turn around and say my successors in the organization and that I've helped develop them in that regard. And then the extended colleagues, you know, you have to build very strong alliances with people across different functions. I will say it's challenging being a woman to do that in financial services. We all know that. If you always start with being interested in other people and what they do, that helps. And I always ask a lot of questions. I don't ever believe that. I can make the decisions and offer the judgments and the guides that I have to do as a GC if I don't really understand the business problem. And I don't see that as a sign of weakness. I think that's helped me navigate around the organizations I've been in as well.
0: You talked there about some sort of North Stars. And I can see how if you have that framework, you can apply it equally in any situation.
1: I have tried to, over time, reflect on how you bring people with you. But the difficulty can be at times that because I can reach judgments and opinions and think I have an answer to something, I might encourage other views, but am I really embracing them? And this is something I had coaching at one point. And my coach talked to me about a lovely concept. He would call it curious eyes versus sharp eyes. And he said, your default personality in law, where you're being trusted, compensated, rewarded for making very factual judgments can be quite black and white and yet in your personal life your friends are from every walk of life you don't surround yourself by overachieving lawyers you embrace all sorts of diverse views and interests and etc but somehow monica you don't always merge them in your career and so if you can genuinely authentically when someone's talking stop thinking about when you can speak when's it your turn and actually really hearing them and trying to understand their perspective my gosh, that would be just the most powerful combination. And I would say, Liam, it's something I continue to work on because often my brain is racing ahead. And to your point about bringing people along with you, that has been something that I've been challenged about in the past. Monica, sometimes the train has left the station with you and people really want to be on that train with you, but, but they haven't seen it as quickly as you. And not to say that they're not bright, they're just looking at it through a different way of thinking about things. And when I look at my team now, I've got a team of people in the US and in Europe, and a lot of my team are in Luxembourg. And my team cover many different nationalities, French versus Italian versus Belgian. They have very different ways of approaching things. And in a way, my current role has been the perfect storm to make me lean into that and face into it. Because not only am I dealing with different types of styles, nationalities, gender, and everyone wants to achieve the right thing for the business. It's actually forced me to really slow down and take time to incorporate those views. And again, it's something I continue to work on because we still work in financial services in a fast pace. I don't always think I do it as brilliantly as I should, but I really think I've grown in that regard, particularly in the last year or so.
0: So much of what you said resonates with me. Working with people from different nationalities, different cultural backgrounds, I suffer from some of the same quickly looking at a spreadsheet and immediately identifying the cell that's wrong or looking at a document and immediately seeing the typo and immediately jumping to all sorts of conclusions that don't bring people along. But working with different people from different nationalities has caused me to stumble occasionally into things like my worldview. When I surface, I have a point of view about X, Y, or Z. And you have that moment when you just realize, oh, I think I've just said something that either offend someone or simply doesn't provide space or an understanding of where they've come from. And that a moment that I have of that awareness, which I'm sure I didn't have in my 20s or even my early 30s, that moment of, oh, wow, I, I've closed that person down. The curious eyes versus sharp eyes example, you've had people in your life who have helped you and mentored you. How did you find people that could be your, your guides?
1: Liam, it's sort of taken two different approaches. Sometimes it's been sort of offered to me formally through being on a succession plan and someone saying, we want you to have a mentor. But often it's just been people I've developed relationships with and I still have those strong relationships. My first boss at GE is still a mentor to this day. I love this concept that I once heard at a women's leadership event I went to about having a personal board of directors. So when you make a decision in your life, there's a number of people you consult with. I might consult with my parents, my husband, these mentors, my best friends. And so over the years, I've been very fortunate to have gathered a number of amazing people on my personal board of directors. And I think the key to having kept those relationships going has been me making an effort and them willing to provide the time. There have been mentors that have been just there for a discrete purpose or time period. But the ones that have sort of been the people I still pick up the phone to when I was thinking about whether I would take this job, for example, they're the ones I would say, you know, help me think about which opportunity of the ones that are being presented to me I should go for. And so I think I've been very lucky and fortunate that I found people who have been very generous with their time. and. It's something that I really believe truly in my values about giving back and doing. How I do it with other people is I'm very open about the things that I've done well and things I could have done differently as a manager, as a leader. And I'm pretty open about that. And I think that that has helped me develop relationships where I am now handing over to other people tips, etc., I come from wanting to grow and truly continue to evolve as a leader. I'm very open about that. I don't really have a lot of time, so I don't read books as much as I probably should. I try and live by the life lessons. I try and ask for feedback. I have to sometimes bravely face into uncomfortable conversations if I don't think I've done something the right way. I try to check in with people better about how are you feeling? What more do you need from me? But the biggest takeaway I found for me personally was slowing down. Because when I'm running at 120 miles per hour, it's quite overpowering for some people. And the real shift in my leadership journey on this, Liam, was realizing that that 120 miles per hour and giving 250% that was causing me to be rewarded and promoted, et cetera, in my career didn't necessarily help me become a better leader. I had to switch from being an individual contributor and making it about me and everyone look at how well I'm doing, so I should be promoted, et cetera, to taking that step back. And I've, I have read a number of really good articles. I look at the Harvard Business you know, Review, et cetera, about that switch when people have gone from being super high achievers to taking that step back to allow other people to do it. And realizing that that's not a comment on you not being a high achiever anymore. It's just about that next stage and not needing to always constantly prove that I'm the one behind something. And that's part of my own personality. It comes back to something that also we used to have as a very important concept at GE. They call it PI, performance image exposure. And the foundation of that was lawyers often think that you're going to get rewarded through your performance. Just because you do your job well, naturally, someone should realize that and help you get the next level. And at GE, they would say, that's like 10% of it. That's a given. You've got to be excellent at what you do. But then it's about your image and your exposure. So your image is the part you can control. And that's the part about the energy you bring to a meeting, how you make people feel. And then the exposure is sometimes a combination of what your boss can give you, the exposure, etc. But if you see it as the whole together, then you realize that's really the key to grow in your career, get promoted, get the next role. I think sometimes the dark side of that was the image became too much about myself. And I would say over the last three or four years, going through different experiences, different organizations has helped me really grow in that regard. And to realize that it's so powerful to be that generous leader who takes a step back to help other people shine.
0: Monica, in preparation for talking with you, I read you've got views on getting things done, change and micromanaging. How have you learned or what have you learned? Perhaps it's looking back. In some ways, you look back on the 20-year younger version of you. You now work with all these other young professionals. What are your philosophies about getting things done and how you get things done through the team?
1: I see it as a little bit of an iceberg approach. Sometimes I just need to float above and sometimes you need to deep dive in, either because the board or the CEO expects me to be all over a topic And the things that have been effective for me have been to make sure that I'm really communicative with my team about why I'm getting involved when I get involved. Some of the things that came out with COVID that we had to do to implement distance selling and all these things were very critical to the business. I was making sure that our team was delivering it. I was driving it at a senior level, but bringing them with me and also knowing when they needed to step forward and own the various parts of these processes we need to put in place. So I would say it shifts. You have to know when it's the time to make the stand because you're the one who's responsible and you have to do that as the GC often. But doing it in an informed way, communicating back to your team, letting them know why you're getting involved in a topic. And I do try and do that quite a lot. But also sometimes just saying to them, let's talk through the issue. Sometimes they're waiting for me to make the judgment call. And I think sometimes hierarchical organizations are like that. I just try to empower them. Like, what do you think we should do? How would you approach it? Sometimes I'll agree with that. Sometimes I won't. If I don't, I might say, how about we think about it differently? And ultimately then I always say to my team, things happen behind the scenes within our team. We can debrief, do a postmortem, but to front face the business, we're one team and we're joined up and I have your back. And I say that to my team always. Like I will never throw them, anyone under the bus. Sometimes things don't get signed, mistakes get made. They're not seismic. But guess what? That's life. And no one does their job perfectly all the time. So whenever something like that happens, my first answer is, right, okay, how do we fix it? Let's fix it. And after that, like, what could we have done differently? But I think that I really try to empower them. And also when it's moments where it does become a call for the general counsel, to be really clear about why that is, because I don't want them to feel like they're not trusted to do that. But it's just sometimes the nature of the role. And I do believe with my team, when I talk about that, they have a great degree of maturity to also get that. And ultimately, we're all rising and falling together. Organization is very sales-driven. So our raison d'etre is to support the sales team, but keep the company safe. And when everyone has that common framework, I think as individuals, you work well together. The other thing I also try to really do is create an adult-to-adult dynamic with my team. These are people who are also seasoned professionals. And I think sometimes in the past, when a relationship becomes more parent-child, it's not the healthiest environment in the workplace because then you're not empowering people. So, as I said, I'm not trying to make out that I get this right all the time, Liam, but the things that really stick with me in terms of the mantras I live by are around trying to empower people, support them, challenge when you need to. But above all, you know, our Grillboard HR director reminded me of this quote from Maya Angelou, which is so profound that I think probably gave me the best dose of remembering curious eyes that I've ever heard, which was I'm going to read it to so make sure I get it right. You will have heard it before, I'm sure. People will forget what you did and what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And
0: we all have that, don't we? Every person that reads that or
1: listens to that knows that about themselves. I say that quote to myself probably on average once a week. And if something's happening because I'm a human being that I'm irritated about or I think they're not moving fast enough on, I'll just take that deep breath. This is a problem with the modern age. You fire out the emails and you're on the WhatsApp. It's too easy to be quick and short And especially when you're dealing with people who have a different cultural framework, it can land in a way, unlike GE, where everyone did that and everyone got it, in other organizations, it has unintended consequences in how it makes people feel. So I love that expression. I try to think about it a lot.
0: It's really important. We do work with different people in different places in their life. Actually, just before this call, I had a bit of a difficult conversation with one of my direct team and we saw some facts differently. And at one point he said, I feel a certain way. And that was the cue for me to stop arguing my, but here are my rational points. I really like that quote, the team that you're having to lead through the environment we're in now. Over the last couple of months, the last six months, I mean, I know you've had a CEO change. What are the things that you feel have evolved or developed about the way that the business feels about or expects differently from the law department?
1: Liam, it's changed in a positive way. The biggest challenge we had from late March, April onwards was how do we help our sales team navigate the new world where our organization, which is focused on wealth management solutions for high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals, is a very people-driven business. These are very bespoke solutions, very tailored for our partners and clients. And there were a number of rules about how you can do things without tripping up any laws or regulation in a complex regulatory environment. So the first thing we said was, we need to help our sales team continue to do their job. So we implemented what we called a distance selling framework that actually had scripts and various other belts and braces to allow our sales team to talk to our partners and clients, but also communicate the messaging we need to do to make sure that their contractual rights that you would normally have in writing later in the process were being respected. And adding on to that, we also deployed an e-signature tool very quickly. And I know that probably doesn't sound revolutionary, but for our business, it was something we talked about for a long time, but we had to move really fast. And so I think that the legal team was at the forefront with regulatory and compliance, other parts of my wider team in driving that forward as a solution. And I think that you know, when you think about what will continue to operate, as we we're, we're still in an uncertain period, we need to continue to refine that solution. I used to I used to jokingly tell our our global sales director, "Look, I know we want to build the Rolls Royce, but right now I'm building the Mondeo. <laughs> we just got to keep this car on the road." And now we'd like to think about what the Rolls Royce experience would feel like. But that was a huge team effort, and for legal to be at the center of that was really delightful because usually we're legal sort of there helping solve problems about how you document something in a contract or what have you, the usual types of stuff. But here we were showing innovation and thought and dedicated sales-driven focus. And I think that that is something that I've always wanted to embody because as I said, I'm kind of a business style GC. But I think my team hadn't necessarily had that experience before. So for them to step forward and have that impact on the business was tremendous. That's been great for the brand of the legal team. And I have wanted to try and keep building on that and sort of encouraging people to think, how can we do things differently? What can we do better? And sometimes the difficulty is not that people don't want to do that. It's making time for doing it. So we've been sort of balancing, making sure that all the BAU is done, but also thinking about how we can innovate and do things better because COVID has created that environment. So I think that's probably been the biggest impact of the legal department. And I would like to see us continuing to do that because in the past, I would think like many financial services organizations, things feel like Quite bureaucratic and decision making takes a long time. But COVID just completely changed that dynamic for everybody. And if we think about what we want to take away from that moving forward, I think that that spirit of getting things done with pace and energy is important. And we're looking at digitalizing more of our processes in different markets. We we're already doing it in a couple of our markets. And so now the legal teams has involved in a project, another multi team project about how we simplify our documents and make them more fit for purpose to go onto a digital platform. So we're, doing other versions of that kind of work, which I think that the current environment has really brought that innovation focus forward.
0: Yeah, I like hearing these stories because I'm quite an advocate for what I call law in the core. I've always felt it's a bit of a shame when law department professionals, while they value being the advisor, and I think that's wonderful being an advisor, I always feel it's a bit of a shame that sometimes you're only asked for your advice periodically rather than turned to. Sort of almost as a matter of course for who can help us achieve our business goals. And I, and hearing your story, what I heard was this environment really did create opportunities for people to raise their hand, but also come together around how can I help? How can we help? I just think that must be so fulfilling for the law department. When we look back on 2020, I'm hoping that we look back and we see that law departments are much more integrated and embedded into the business rather than aside from collaborating in the way that you've spoken about is so valuable. Two questions. What would be the advice that you would give the 20 year younger Monica? That's
1: a great question, Liam. Be a bit kinder to yourself. Be a bit patient. Take time to celebrate success a bit more. Be grateful for the people who are around you, who you're close to, because many of them, fortunately for me, will still be with you 20 years later, cheering you on. That personal board of directors, your family and friends, never take that for granted. I'm going to ask you, to finish a sentence, and that sentence is: leadership in
0: tough times requires dot dot dot.
1: Leadership in tough times requires kindness. I think it's kindness towards others that comes back to the how it makes people feel and what they remember. Kindness to yourself because tough times affect everybody, and the kindness in giving to others. Having that kindness, which to me also means that pausing, that reflection. That slowing down for a minute that we talked about earlier in the podcast, for me, slowing down allows me to access more of that because I'm not so focused on the end goal. I'm focused on how we get there. Celebrating kindness in leadership is really important. It's just one word, but it's a word that we all connect to. Marco, this has been really, very,
0: very interesting. It's been really interesting to hear your views on leadership as your career has developed. It's interesting to hear your views on leadership as your personal leadership has evolved. And yeah, I hope this is going to be useful to other people who are actually going through their own journey and possibly aspiring to career success.
1: Thanks so much, Liam. It's been a really fun conversation. I've enjoyed it.
0: Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com.